0: Okay, so, lesson one. So, what's going to happen? We're going to go over the lesson today. Uh, We're going to divide into small groups. Once a small group is finished, if you are, raise your hand if you're going to take the final exam. Before you leave today, you will see me, and I will test you on memory card one, okay? If you don't have it, it's fine. It's just of accountability, so you know that every Sunday you will be tested. Every Sunday, you will be, and I will ask you, okay? So be ready for that. So at the end of my lesson, we go into small groups. Small group leaders have their questions. You go over them. Once you're done, instead of going out, you meet with me. We go one-on-one, and we move on. Got it? Okay. So how many of you uh, actually did worksheet number one, okay, and actually completed and interviewed the person and all that? Good. Be praying for them. Be praying for them, all right? There's power in prayer. You have to believe. Okay, that God can save those who he has predestined. And God can save whoever he wants because he's God. Pray that their eyes can be opened to the the gospel when you present it to them. Got it? All right. Last class. What What was the mission for evangelism? God's ultimate purpose for evangelism is to what? Glorify himself. God is the one who saves. Do you save anyone? No, God does. And why does he save anyone at all? Why? Because you're so good? Because we're so great? Because we offer so many things to God? Because we're usually good people that sometimes sin? Is that why? No, it's because... Yes, part of it, but he does it for what? To bring himself glory. To bring himself glory. He, go, he, he shows the world, look. All of these sinners that you see, the, the worst murderer, the, the worst person you can ever think of, I can... Change that person because I am God. That's how powerful I am. And I'll show you for my glory that I'm the one that saves and no one else can. What about the motivation? What should motivate us to preach the gospel? It's right here, guys. I mean, seriously. Love for God. If we love him, we will obey his commandments. All his commandments. Obeying your parents, you show God that you love him. All right? Being obedient to leaders and authority shows God that you love him, right? Worship him, praising him, praying, reading the word. Those are all acts of obedience, yes? What's one more act of obedience that the Lord tells us to do? It's, it's, we're doing a class here. It's, it's called evangelism, yes. Preach the gospel. And if you love God, if you truly love God, you will obey his commandment in obeying in preaching the gospel. What about we learned about the message, right? How do we present this message? In a man-centered way or in a god-centered way? God-centered. Thank you. God-centered way. Yes, we present it in a god And what does that mean? Anybody can anybody tell me what that means? We present the gospel in a god-centered way, not a man-centered way. Remember the grandpa example? Or the Jesus boyfriend example? Remember those? Do we present the gospel he just needs to be with you. He loves you so much. He gave his only son just for you because he was so lonely in heaven. Is that how we present the gospel? That's a man-centered gospel. We present the gospel, yes, God is love, and it is true, he did give his son to die on the cross for all of us, but did he do so because we were so great that he was so lonely? No, he did it for his own glory. He is love, but he's also just. And And you will be judged one day. What's going to happen at judgment? That's how we present the message. You emphasize on God's glory and man's sinfulness. And how do we do this? What is the method of evangelism? How do we do this? How? Yes, and what is that biblical presentation? All the gospel, right? Through speaking and also through what? Who said it? Somebody said it. Somebody said it. Okay, actions. Yes, actions. Are you going to? If you are a believer in Christ, the light of God is in you, right? You, your light, your salt to the world, to the to the, the best you can, right? Are you going to be cursing and you know listening to music that's degrading and all these things, and all of a sudden go and evangelizing? Hey, you know, you need God, and they're like. What do you mean I need God? Like you, you curse all the time. You, you talk this way. You act this way. Is that a counter message? Yes, it is. So your actions, your way of life validates the message of the gospel. So you have to make sure that you're living a Christian life. Can you imagine if you saw any of our leaders cursing outside of church? Can you imagine that? If that's how we are characterized? Or at bars all the time? Getting drunk. If you went to Buffalo Wild Wing one time and you saw any of the youth leaders there passed out because they were drunk, does that make sense? And then they come here to lead you in small group. Does that make sense? No, right? And in the same way, you guys are all in a way leaders in the sense of you're ambassadors of Christ and you represent his kingdom wherever you go. That was last lesson. Last lesson. Today, we're going over the person of God, and we're going over man, okay? So you have had to memorize today memory card one, which was God. Now, let me ask you something. Is it important to be clear when presenting the gospel? Is it important to make it in a way that's understandable? Yes, we want to present a clear gospel, a complete gospel, an entire gospel. So do we oversimplify things? Do we skip things? Do we focus on the things that are appealing to people's ears? No, we focus on all of it. Yes, God is love. Yes, he is a great God who loves his children. But he's also a holy God who is just and needs to pay. Somebody has to pay for the price of sin. Right? So the following main points and verses should act as a doorway to help you understand all these biblical truths and gives you a framework of how and where to start with the gospel. You can use many illustrations. That's fine. But make sure the illustrations are biblical illustrations. Why? Because it is God's Word who turns a sinner away from his sin. Not your great example. Not your testimony. It's what Christ did in your testimony that you share that saves people, but not your testimony, not your examples, the word of God. So that's why if you ever leave, whatever you take from this class, take those verses and just go through those verses. And if that's all you remember and you go through those verses to the person that you're preaching the gospel to, trust me, God will do his work. Stick to God's word first. Do you debate God's existence with somebody? No, that's for another time. And for those that really want to study apologetics, that's a great opportunity. But do you even start with that? No, you don't. There's a a reason why we start with God first, and we're going to see that in a second. So how do you even start the conversation, right? I want you guys to get it going in your mind. How do you even start a gospel conversation with somebody, right? Well, you're lucky because we live in Texas, and it's the Bible Belt. Literally everyone and their mom goes to church. Whether it's a good church or bad church, they go to church. So you guys are already half one. Like seriously, a good question to start when you're asking your friend or somebody that I usually do, if I meet anybody in the neighborhood around, is like, oh, yeah, How you, how's it going? I'm good. Oh, and then the conversation just happens. Now, let's say it's just a friend already from school, from co-op, from your neighborhood. Hey, guys, so do you guys go to church around here? Or do you have any plans for the weekend? Do you guys go to church on Sundays? And they're going to tell you, no, no, we don't go to church on Sundays. And then you can tell them, well, I'll invite you to my church. You know, church is important because it tells us what God says in his word and about the judgment that we're going to face when we die. And then you go in. You know, what's going to happen to you when you die? Have you ever thought of that? I like that question that Kevin, how they, how, how they proposed it to Kevin when he gave his testimony. That's, that's a way to go in, right? If say, oh, I already, I already go to church. Okay, oh, cool. What church do you go to? And they name the name. Oh, I go to Baptist Church. Okay, great. Can show, share with me your testimony. How did you come to Christ? And then you'll know. Oh, well, because I said a prayer when I was three, and, you know, I, I just know that um, I'm a good person. Boom. Right there and then is your way entering. Oh, that's, that's interesting that you say that because what the Bible teaches is different than that, though. It, it says that it's not by works. It's by grace. And you go into, and God. And you go into God, and then you go various ways to go in. you got to get creative. You got, and, we'll, and we'll practice and role play these things. But it's an all, a simple one is like, hey, you go to church around here. Hey, are you going to go to church on Sunday? Why? Because it's expected in our community, in our culture here in Dallas where people go to church on Sundays. So you have a good opportunity to go in that way. Got it? So then what's going to happen when you die? What's going to happen when you die? Have you thought of that question? What's going to happen when you die? That's a good one. Just people, if you have five minutes of your time, I would like to explain to you what the Bible says. Oh, what's going to happen when we die? Do you mind? You can, you can go that way or you can just preach it and don't ask. You, you got to feel the moment as well. Okay? So we start the gospel with God. God is the creator and owner of of everything, God is the creator and owner of everything. See, man is ultimately responsible to God, and one day will answer to him for what man has done. God is the creator of all, and one day when we all die, we will go before the Lord, and we will have to pay... For what we have done. The first verse that you should have memorized is this one. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, before time and space existed, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything perfectly and exactly as intended. And guess what? God as creator does as he pleases. And instructs us how he pleases and tells us how to live as he pleases because he is the creator. Look what Isaiah 44, 24 says. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb, I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. Look what Revelation four eleven says. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed, and they were created. God has a right to do whatever He wants with what is what? His. All of creation is God's, and He can do as He pleases because He is God, and we are not, okay? The next verse, you should have memorized, is Psalm 24, 1 through, well, it's only one. I have it there. That was my typo. I I deleted this morning. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Not only is the world God's, but those who dwell in it. And who dwell in the world? Who dwells in the world? Every one of you dwells in the world, so therefore you are his. And he decides how you live, not ourselves. Look at what Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12 says. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I, can, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all it contains. God is God. This is his world. We are his creation. He sets the rules. We do not. Romans 9, there's an illustration that Paul uses in verse 20. It says, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why do you make me like this? Will it? Or does the potter have a right over the clay? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay? To make from the same lump one vessel of honorable use and one another for common use. The example is, if you ever seen somebody make A clay pot. Okay? The maker is making the clay however he desires. However artistically he wants to make it. Does the lump of clay have any right to say how he wants to be made or she wants to be made? How it wants to be made? No. You as a creator create whatever you want to create because you desire to do so. You don't ask the it What do you want me to do? How how would you want me to make you? That's not what God does. He makes us for his glory and for whatever purpose he desires. Now, why is knowing this important? Why is knowing all of these things about God important? There's a reason why we start with God. Because guess what? Unbelievers claim to know Things of God. Some say he's love, right? You've seen that before. Everyone said God is love. Or some see him as an angry, judgmental, lightning bolt God that's ready to, for you to make mistakes and throw them at you, right? And some even deny overall his existence. He doesn't live. He doesn't exist. There is no God. You see, the existence of God... Is known to all man through revelation in God reveals himself through creation and God reveals himself through conscience, right? And the fact that human nature sees God and they see his authority, they want to redefine God to what they believe God should be and they want to redefine the standards of heaven of what they think they should do to get there, and all of a sudden they want to be their own God, right? They want to worship their own self. They want to be their own Lord and not worship Him and His ways. They just don't want to submit or obey His authority. Therefore, I will make God in my image, an image that satisfies my desires, my pleasures, my wants, and my needs. And that's how, that's how it's not, it doesn't work that way. That's why you start with God saying to the person, God is God and you are not. And this view that you have of God is not accurate. This is the accurate view of God in the Bible. He is this. He is the creator and owner of everything. Some people think, if I deny his existence, or define him according to my thinking, then his authority does not extend over me. And that's the same thing as a, child saying and playing in the streets oh I can play in the streets ignoring what his parents said right the parents tell you don't play in the street guys it's dangerous stop don't play in the streets and then the kid goes and plays in the streets and think oh and tells his friends "Ah, oh, my parents don't care or they haven't told me or I don't believe nothing's gonna happen does that mean that nothing's gonna happen to that child who's playing in the street no it's gonna happen regardless of what the child thinks or not he will be run over by a car eventually because that is the truth You will be judged by a holy God, regardless of what you think of God, because that is the truth. And you can't escape it. The Bible teaches that God has revealed himself to all by his creation and our conscience. But what have man done with that? What did man do? They suppress the truth. They ignore the truth. So the sinner's problem is not the lack of information of God, but it is a moral rejection of his authority. you got to get to the point in the gospel where you teach them, I know you believe in God. You have some sort of sense of God, and that we're going to explain that how. you got to take them to, you know there's a God that exists, but the, the problem that you have is that you reject his moral authority. You reject God because you want to live how you want to live and don't want to submit to how he says to live. Evangelism's purpose is not to convince a person of the existence of God, but to express to them the moral failure of an unbelieving heart and the consequences of it. We don't have to define or defend God and his existence. That's already in them. They see that through creation. They see it in their conscience. We have to tell them about their moral failure of an unbelieving heart and what consequences that's going to bring. So how do unbelievers have a notion of God's existence? As creator and maker of everything, he has inscribed in each human certain truths to point back to him. The Bible teaches this clearly in Romans 1. The, uh, next, next point. So if, for those that are taking notes, the person of God revealed in creation. Number one, the person of God revealed in creation. Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why is the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all these people? Because, guess what? Because that which is known about God is evident with them for God made it evident to them. It's evident within them because God made it evident to them. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, which is creation, so that they are without excuse. Unbelieving man looks at creation and God says, you are without excuse. I made the heavens and the earth. Unbelieving man looks at the human, and God says, my creation alone itself testifies of me. It says that there is a God that created all of this. Not by accident, but with a purpose. So what characterizes God? The following describe the characteristics of God revealed in creation, his eternal power. Colossians 1, 16-17. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is why people tend to cry out to God in desperate times. The worst atheist, he's dying in his deathbed, or family members dying, or somebody's close relative, and he's going to just say, God, please help me. Because they know there is someone more powerful that's in control of everything around us than themselves. In them, God has seen and shown them that all that they see, behind all that they see is a powerful creator who is powerful to change any circumstance. And because it's innate, that's why they say things like that. His divine nature, Matthew 5:45. We talked about His eternal power and divine nature. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Again, God provides for all. And even the unsaved please with God when He's desperate for food, for rain, because they know deep down inside, because God put it there, There is someone, there's something that's more powerful than what they deem. More powerful than themselves. That's the first way God reveals himself. And usually it's called general revelation, through creation. The second way God reveals himself to the world is through his conscience. Number two, the law of God in the conscience If you ever need to know how to spell conscience, just put conscience. And that's how I learn how to... That's how I do it. Conscience. The law of God in the conscience. So he's shown himself to the world through his creation. And he's also shown himself to the world through the conscience. What do I mean by this? Romans 2, 14 through 15. Look what it says. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, meaning that don't know about God and His ways, do instinctively the things of the law, meaning the right things like of the Ten Commandments, these not having the law are a law to themselves. In that they show the work of the law, of the Ten Commandments, of the moral, morality of God, written in their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. What is a conscience? The conscience is an alarm system. It keeps you from breaking God's law. The conscience is not, you probably don't know this, I'll review my age, it's not not Jiminy Cricket. You know Jiminy Cricket from Pinocchio? That's not your conscience. Your conscience is given by God as an alarm system for us not to break his law the conscience activates based on the level of good in that it knows the conscience activates based on the level of good that it knows so that's why people feel guilty regardless if they believe in god or not universally when they steal they murder they lie or practice sexual immoral acts. Initially, they will feel guilty. But over time, because they decide to ignore God's alarm system, then these things are characterized, they characterize them, and they become numb to the conscience. And this leads us to the third point. The conscience can be programmed. If you ignore the feelings of guilt and conviction... You will nullify its warnings and eventually silence it altogether. That is why we read in Romans 1a, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and righteousness. So, a couple of illustrations here. Let me see if I have a slide for that. Before this one, there's one. A leper. A leper loses his limbs, right? But it's not because the flesh-eating bacteria causes his limbs to fall off. It's actually because the flesh-eating bacteria attacks his nervous system. And his nervous system is affected. So when he is cooking and he has his hand over fire, he can't feel it. Because his nervous system is is attacked, therefore he loses his limbs. That is the example of the leper when it comes to why his limbs fall. He had a warning system before the infection came in but then it went away same thing when you start sinning and you ignore the the conviction and the guilt that comes after that sin and you just keep ignoring 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 eventually you die to that feeling and you see yourself where how did i get here well because you ignored what you shouldn't have in the first place i know a lot of you want me to say the example of the boiling frog Right? A frog placed in water that's cold will jump out and a frog placed in water that's warm, if you gradually increase the heat, he won't jump off and he'll die. Sorry to tell you this guys. Scientifically it has been disproven, okay? Let's not use that example ever again, all right? It's a good example though, right? Cuz you're dead in your sins and all of a sudden you don't know and y'all you die from your sin. It's a great metaphor but it, for the sake of truth it has been disproved. How do we know the law exists in man based on the Bible? Well, look at this. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? What did Cain do right here? What did Cain do? He murdered his brother. And when God asked him, what does Cain do? What does he do? How does he respond to God? What does he do? He lies. He lied to God in his face. Next example. Perhaps my father will feel, feel me, then I will be a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and, do not, and not a blessing. This is when Jacob and Isaac, right, that the mom says, oh, I want you to receive his blessing. Here, don't worry. And after this, is like, here, put some goat skin on. Because his mom wanted him to deceive his father, and he's saying, what if he finds out, and I receive a curse instead of a blessing? Right? How does he know this? Last example. Genesis 39:10, this is Joseph. As she, Potiphar's wife, spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Potiphar's wife wanted to engage in, in activities with Joseph, and day by day he said, No. How do all three of these people in Genesis feel guilt, remorse, fear before the Lord if the law of Moses wasn't written yet? There were no Ten Commandments. So how do they do that? How do they know what was wrong and what was right before the law of Moses? The conscience that God created us with. The moral barometer that we all have in our lives. That is how we know that God created us with this moral compass. This moral alarm. So how is this information useful to begin the gospel presentation? Talking about the truth of God and his law reminds the unbeliever of something that he already knows but denies with his life. He already knows that there's a God. But you have to redirect that view of God that he has to the real view of what scripture says. That God is God. He makes the rules we don't. The next part you go and talk to the person about that God is perfectly Holy. First John 1, 1.5, one of the verses that we have to learn for today. This is a message we have heard from him and announced to you. John, the Apostle John, heard this message from Jesus, and now he's announcing it to the church that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Matthew 5.48, therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God is holy, without sin, completely good, pure, and Perfect. His holiness is a standard of right and wrong. See, God is a creator of everything. He decides what and how we live. And His holiness is His barometer. He decides, that goes into our next point, how we should obey and live our lives. And it's basically, God requires perfect obedience to His law. God requires perfect obedience to His law. God is holy. He is a cre- God is creator and owner of everything. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is the Lord and all it contains. And those who dwell in it, you are God; you are not yourselves. And guess what? This God that created us, He is holy. He is perfect. He is without sin. And He wants His children to be like Him. Therefore, He requires perfect obedience. James 2.10 says... For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has made me guilty. He has become guilty of all. He gets to, he gets to make the rules. And this rule is perfection. What if you keep all the law and you just miss one in your whole life? You're guilty of everything. Now, Obviously, different, cons- different sins have different consequences here on earth, yes? Of course. A lie is not going to send you 30 years in jail to a murder. I get it. But guess what? The lie or the murder are equally, they equally take you out of God's presence. They equally make you guilty before a holy God. The lie and the murder. So that is God. That is who he is. That's why we start... With God in the gospel, right? He is the creator, He is the owner, He is holy, and He requires perfect obedience from us. That is what He has decided for us to do. And now we go into man. Oh, but this is the bad news. The bad news is that man has broken that law. Everyone has broken God's law. What is sin? Does it, does it ask you to write the definition of sin in your notebook? There it is for you. Sin is disobedience against God. It is refusing to do what he commands and insisting on doing what he forbids. Sin is fundamentally, fundamentally a matter of worship. Give me some time to write this down. Joel, can you tell them to be quiet over there? Because I can, hear their, I can hear them preaching. I don't like that. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Joel. I can still hear echoes, Joel. I, I'm seriously... It's, it's, thank you. I'm just kidding, Joel. I don't want to get kicked out of the church. All right. So, since everyone has broken God's law, so what is the sin issue here? What is the, the main issue? It's an issue of worship. Sin is fundamentally a matter of worship. Because you decide, I don't want to obey God, I don't want to worship Him, then I worship myself. And how do I worship myself? By doing what I please, through actions and thoughts. How do we respond to God through these sins when it comes to salvation? Well, one way is we like to redefine the entrance requirement. Let's make it easier. Let's make a scale. If I do more good than bad, then that makes, I'm in. And what does that give you? The opportunity to do bad. The opportunity to sin. to The opportunity to feel good of what feels right. But if I do more than good than bad, ah, eh, I'm in and I get best of both worlds. That's what sin does. And that's what we do to God. Obviously, that's not right. Or they just totally defy God and say, I, there is no God. I'm my God. I do as I please. Romans 3.10. These are all verses that tell you about the, whole, the, the, the wickedness of man. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God, for God. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Isaiah three six. And all of us. Like sheep have gone astray, each one of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable, abominable need, deeds. There is no one who does good. Even in your outwardness, the illustration that, 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 we, that we look here is... It's in Matthew five twenty one through 28, when, God, when Christ is teaching about the commandments and he said, you've heard that it's been told, right, that murdering is wrong. But I say to you, even if you have an evil thought against your brother or sister and you call him a fool, that is like murder. Or you have been taught that if you lust of another woman in your mind that, that, uh, and, that the com- committing adultery is bad. But even I say to you that even if you lust in your mind, you have committed adultery or fornication if you're single. That is who man is. Bad sinners. Here is another way you can go through the Ten Commandments. Say, hey, you know the Ten Commandments, right? What, what are the Ten Commandments? Have you ever lied before? Oh, yeah. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Yeah. Have you ever called a, a brother stupid? Yeah. So you're a murderer, a liar, and a disobeyer of parents. Is that, do you, is, you think that's still good? That should confront them, right? And be like, oh, well, that, you have a point there, right? So, man has sinned, and what has this done? What has this done? Next slide. The consequences for sin is separation from God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is the owner, creator of everything. He decides how we live. We disobeyed him. We sinned against him because we're evil, and that sin has separated us with him. We have no fellowship with him anymore. And we were created in his image. We were created to have fellowship with him. But when we sinned, that stopped. The unbeliever's prayers are not heard. He lacks obedience. And he's alienated from God. Look at what Isaiah 59 one says. Behold, the Lord's hand is not too short that it cannot save. Nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Meaning like, God is powerful enough to hear prayer and can do it in whatever, whatever he pleases. But he says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This separation leaves man on his own to deal with guilt, hopelessness, broken relationships, evil thoughts and actions. See, man has no fellowship with God. The only... Relationship they have with God is his wrath. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That sin has to be paid for. Once created, we're never going to cease to exist. You're going to exist eternally in heaven if you believe in repenting the gospel. Or you're going to exist in hell eternally if you reject the gospel in Christ. And this is very important. Good works and good intentions, point C. Good works and good intentions cannot save anyone. No amount of good works can overcome your sin. They won't erase the guilt of price or the the price of sin to be paid. Everything we do is tainted by sin. The standard is perfection and perfection only. That is the bad news. The bad news is that we are doomed. I, in the gospel, you need to be clear in this part to let them know their condition before a holy Lord, a holy God. You are not as good as you think. Why? Because of this, 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 and that. There is none righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. Oh, but I'm a good person. Even if you think you're a good person, the Bible says that By grace we are saved. By faith we are saved. Not of us, but of God, so that no one may boast. Titus 3, 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And that is where you end with man. God and man. That's the first part of the gospel presentation. Next week, we're going to learn about the second part. Christ, the good news. And the response. Again, you start with God. Let them know they already have some sort of knowledge of God because God said in in his word, creation and conscience. But you need to take them to know that it is God who decides how we are to live, not us. It is God who sets the standards for Fellowship with him eternally, not us. We go to man. Man is sinful. He has broken God's law. He cannot choose God because he's evil. He cannot save himself. And yet then you introduce him to Christ, but there's good news. So you want to make them sure that you want to paint this as horrible news because it is. But then you come with the gospel, the good news of Christ. This is what saved you and me. That Christ... Saved us. Amen. For next class, you are to memorize card two, which is the rest of the gospel. Sorry, no, no, just two, which is man. Man, man. We got man. And then complete worksheet number two. And now, uh, I'm going to pray. We'll split up in small groups. Sixth grade, you're going to go with Kat. And the rest of you, all your small group leaders are here. And You'll go over the questions and small group leaders when you're finished. I'll be there. I'm making sure that anybody who is going to take the final exam to see me so I can practice with you a little bit what you memorized for today. Any questions, guys, on God and man? On the gospel presentation? Let us pray. Father, we thank you because you are God and we are not. Because in the beginning you created all the heavens and the earth. Because the earth is yours and all it contains and those who dwell in it, God. Thank you, Father, because you are perfectly holy. Therefore, we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Father, and you have made it clear to us how we are to live with perfect obedience. To follow all your laws. Thank you, God. Sorry that we think or we've thought before that we were good people that we have anything to offer, that we could have saved ourselves. We apologize for that, Lord. We repent from that. We know, Lord, that we can't do it on our own. It's only through your grace, only through the glorious work of Jesus Christ, your Son, that we have eternal life and we can have fellowship again with you restored and we can worship you, Father, for eternity. Pray, Lord, that this can be a reality in many of the lives here that are not saved and those that are saved. I pray that this reality can be... can can be more in their lives and they can be burdened with this truth to share with others. In your name we pray, amen.